Ladies and gentlemen, it is a long I journey to this moment. Really Thank you so much. It's an incredible honor. Naturally, indebted to And the Oscar goes to. And welcome to Think the Academy, the podcast where we talk about every Academy Award-winning Best Picture film in order. We're your hosts, Zach and Kristen, and that's Kayla, our producer. Howdy. Hello. Hello. We're here bringing you another episode. We're just ordinary people. Just a couple of ordinary friends. Ordinary we're not, lovers. We're more than friends. <laughs> ordinary. <What? laughs> What are you trying to tell me? You want to just be friends? Do you really even love me? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this took a weird turn. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, I guess. And welcome to our discussion about the 53rd Academy Awards and the Best Picture winner, Ordinary People. That's right. I know that you liked this film a lot. I did. (laughs) This is uh, one of those movies where... I separate my personal opinion from my like movie opinion. Uh-huh. So like it I broke through. Yeah. So basically what I'm trying to say is I personally really like this movie. This hits all the sweet spots for me. It's like a small intimate family drama. There's like three characters, four characters, I guess. And it's really dark and they're dealing with really heavy emotional issues. And it's just kind of that. I love that stuff. That's like my bread and butter. I also recognize this is not like the greatest Academy Award winning movie of the movies we've talked about. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. But personally, I really enjoyed this one. I was so glad to watch it. I just was very moved. I love I love the performances in this movie, too. Just just great for me. Yeah, it's funny. I I had to end up watching it in two installments. Uh and I watched the first half of it, and I was not super sold on it. And then you watched it. Yeah. And then you were like, it was so amazing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? The first half was not very good. Which is true. I do agree with that sentiment. Like, And I was so thrown by it being so 80s. It's so 80s. I love it. I was like, what are we watching? This one best picture? How is this possible? Because it, like, it was released in the 80s. It doesn't transcend its time. What is going on? It's, it's so... rooted in its time. But of course, it gets better. Yes, yeah. And I did enjoy it more by the end. Mm-hmm. I also just, I mean, we'll talk about more of this stuff as we go along. But like, I also just really loved how it felt really relevant for the time. And I was like, I was reflecting a lot on my parents watching mm. this movie. Um, And just mm-hmm. like some of the values that they hold dear, like... And the things that, like, I know just from, you know, talking to them about their lives and stuff, like, mm-hmm. things that were big deals to them, both, like, socially and emotionally and all that kind of stuff. And watching this movie really helped me connect with that, too, because I just, oh, like, interesting. felt like I was learning about this little, like, pocket of time that I don't know a lot about. Mm-hmm. And the things that were changing in, like, society. We can talk about more of this later, but, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is very much our parents too Mm -hmm. because it's very like middle class Mm -hmm. white families growing up in suburban america Mm -hmm. doing Mm -hmm. their white family things Mm -hmm. also i have never seen donald sutherland young before yeah he still looks scary young (laughs) (laughs) but also like i loved 
his face. Like as a young hmm. dad, I was like, he's like one of those like quirky, friendly young dads that like I as a like teenager like would have related to a lot, you know? Mm, yeah. I don't know. He was just perfect for the role for me. Yeah, he was very good. The acting in general is very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, good ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, I could not get over how cute Elizabeth McGovern oh, is. Oh, so cute. Well, and like it's her first role in a film. She's And so she's cute. just so, so good in it. Yeah. She's like exactly what you need that character to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, we'll talk more about the <laughs> film as we get Sorry. into it. Uh, but first, we need to bring you the Penny News. The news about Penny. A pup date. So Penny has been a ragamuffin. Uh-oh. She has been... Uh, I mean, through no fault of her own. No, no. It's, it's evolution, I guess, hasn't uh, caught up with evolution, her Evolution, no. I'm saying <laughs> her parents didn't take her into an appointment. <laughs> Someone kept procrastinating. Okay. She's very cute with blonde hair, and it's very hard for me to commit to getting her hair cut off. The problem is, though, with her long, scraggly ragamuffin hair, is it's very, very fine, yes. and so it gets very tangled yes, very yes. easily. Yes, this is all true. So we took her to the groomer. Uh-huh. A new groomer. A new groomer. We've had another. S- yeah, we've had some issues with uh, grooming people around here, but... We uh, went to this groomer who is literally on our block. So it's like we could just walk there with her, which was really convenient. And we got there and I dropped her off or you dropped her off. And the guy took her in and she's like, I don't know, you were there. Yeah, she was just so happy to be there. She loves all people for the most part. And so whenever anyone is like, oh, you're a cute dog and I want to pet you. She's like, "Okay, great. We're best friends now. Yeah, so she was like so happy to go. So finally, when I was done, it didn't take that long. I went over to pick her up. And as I walked up, they have a little window that's like street facing. Mm -hmm. And like your classic, like, yeah, like pets in a window. Like, oh, I want that puppy in the window kind of moment. Uh I walked by and she just like was in this little play area, kind of like walking around. And she saw me coming down the block and she put her little paws up and then stuck her head up into the window and was just wagging and wagging and wagging and so excited to see me. And I like got over. I was like so happy that she recognized me and like was happy to see me. (laughs) And she was like wriggling all around and just so excited, excited. And uh, we live in like a Russian neighborhood area. So all the stores are Russian. All the people who work there are, are Russian. And so the guy's like, oh, well, she she's very excited to see you. I know who you're here for. And he brought her out to me. And he's like, she is so friendly. She makes friends with everybody. Bring her by anytime. <laughs> like, of course, I will. And she looked good. So yeah, I was going to say she looks as cute as ever. She looks spiffy. But she has tiny little groomed paws now. Yeah, they're so cute. They're so little. And especially, I mean, it's really nice whenever she gets groomed because then her all of her fur is so soft and bright white. I was just going to say, what's your favorite thing? When she has white fur. <laughs> Zach's obsessed with that. white fur is white. <laughs> because you can tell when she's dirty because she has a lot of white fur at like the bottom half of her body. Yeah. So. Her paws and like undercarriage are all white. Yeah. So. so you can easily see when she has been walking on those LA streets. Yeah. But she looks great now. Good job, Penny. Well, shall we get into this ceremony? Oh, boy, yeah. I saw there was a few fun things of note. Yes. And did oy, not oy, read oy. further. Okay, so good for you. I'm excited to <laughs> live them real time. All right, great. 
So today, <laughs> we are talking about the 53rd Academy Awards. They were held on March 31st, 1981 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Uh, this was a day later than scheduled and planned for. Aha, uh-huh, I wonder why. The ceremony was planned to be on the 30th, March 30th, but had to be postponed due to the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan, the president. Womp womp. So this uh, attempted assassination happened earlier in the day. And um, part of the reason this was a big deal for the Academy Awards, besides like it's in America and he's the president and chaos and all that kind of stuff, is that he is is a former actor. Yeah. He's, you know, a member of the Guild. He was a member of the voting branch of the Academy. Like, Well, he was also president of SAG yes. for a while. I mean, he's very integrated into the community. Yeah. Um, and he, first of all, was going to be watching and was like a part of it. But prior to this, they had pre-recorded an opening bit with him. Oh, my. So he was going to be opening the ceremony, like a, oh, a no. pre-taped oh him gosh. and Nancy sitting in the office, like, we're proud members of the film industry, and it's great for America, oh, and, boy. you know, Ronald Reagan-y kinds of stuff. Uh, so president of the Academy right now is Faye Cannon. The producer for this show was Norman Jewison, and um, mm. they had to kind of decide what to do. Yeah. They didn't know what to do. And this is hours, hours before. And when I say hours, I mean celebrities are in hair and makeup. Like, oh, they yeah, are, like, right. getting, getting ready, ready for day. the red carpet. Like, Ooh. it's a whole thing. But they do decide to postpone it. Um so um, alongside executive producers and broadcasters for ABC, they decided to announce that it would be postponed to the next day. Hmm. And the repercussion of this is massive. I mean, it's yeah. a huge financial loss for people individually. Like, well, and also like stuff is planned to be on ABC like right. years in advance. Yeah. Like this, it's, it's a yeah, big They deal. know when it's happening. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. And another layer to this that's like just like, ugh. Rough is of course the assassination attempt is done by John Hinckley Jr., mm-hmm. who is you know as we know now he was obsessed with uh, the film Taxi Driver, which is from 1976 and had been nominated and all that kind of stuff, won some awards, um, and he was obsessed with this, and that's kind of part of why he attempted this assassination. All this crazy stuff. Um, the New York Times, I mean, everybody wrote articles about this. The quote from the New York Times was quote the action threw the event into confusion and sent ripples throughout the local economy here. And just like went into description of like just thinking down to the nitty, ugh, thinking down to the nitty gritty of things. If you're an actress, you are paying, and your team is paying for you to have stylists and hair and makeup and transportation and security and all these mm-hmm. things. And now you have to pay all those people again the next day. And well, and then like streets in L.A. Yeah, closed, closed down. The city, the municipal department, they're all yeah, they working. Have lots of the security event. people. Mm-hmm. Police are mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. all the reporters and everybody mm-hmm. who's like traveled from other places in the country to come and report on it. Yeah. So this has only ever happened three times in history. Mm. Um, the last time it happened was at the 40th ceremony in 1968. It was postponed because of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, they had a little more time. Yeah, right. So they were able to plan around it a little bit better. Uh, and then the first time this happened was in 1938 due to flooding. Right. If you recall the episode about the floods in LA and all that kind of stuff. But this is the closest they've ever cut it. And to go back to what I kind of started with is that there was a pre-recorded segment from Ronald Reagan as mm. well. And so they they just didn't know what to do about this. Uh, finally, uh, Faye Cannon 
Norman Jewison and Johnny Carson, who is the host, mm-hmm. they came up with the plan that Johnny Carson would um, do like a new intro before they did Ronald Reagan's intro. So okay. the ceremony order is now Faye Cannon comes out as the president, introduces the ceremony. Then Johnny Carson comes out. He kind of reflects on the assassination attempt and then they play the video. Ah. So that's what they decide to do. Um Johnny Carson, I mean, and everybody's in communication with the White House, so they're, like, kind of getting updates as they go along. Because if the president dies or something, that also affects what happens right. at, for everybody, especially ABC needs to then cover that oh, instead. Boy. So all of this to say, um, they get the report that he's doing okay. He's, like being taken care of everything's going to be fine um so uh for johnny carson's like segment he reports that the president's doing well that he is conducting business and that he even asked for a tv to be brought into his room so he could watch the awards which got thunderous applause from the audience um and then he also said that uh as reagan and we all know the show must go on Uh and of course everybody just loses their mind they love that stuff um is he like he was probably like the only republican president to ever support about hollywood (laughs) i know it feels very weird to like talk about him because i kind of forgot like it's very hard to connect those two things yeah because we've talked about him a little bit in the past Mm -hmm. as an actor mostly like kind of teasing you know but the fact that he's now the president is just a weird thing Mm mm-hmm and what's really funny, like his segment is a very normal segment then. It's just a simple shot of him sitting, saying some nice things about the industry, how it's good for America, blah, blah, blah. And he makes a joke that I thought was funny. He said, quote, film is forever. I've been trapped in some films forever myself. And then the audience like cracks up because uh-huh. they're thinking of the musical numbers he's done. Yes, of course. <laughs> this is the army. <laughs> so anyways, that is the preface to this ceremony that mm-hmm. is kind of the um like main thing that's happening and what i will say about this and this was in a lot of people's reviews of this particular ceremony is that this is like the only part of major interest like this mm-hmm. happens and it's very chaotic obviously for everybody involved mm-hmm. but the rest of the ceremony is pretty normal and like ultimately kind of lackluster um, so just to keep carrying on, as I mentioned, it's produced by Norman Jewison. Congrats to him on handling this nightmare. <laughs> uh, it's directed once again by Marty Pasita and hosted by Johnny Carson for the third time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a quote I pulled from the Washington Post that said, um, quote, everything seemed an anticlimax to the Reagan opening and the tragic events in Washington a day earlier did put a shadow of gloom over an affair that had promised to be grim enough anyway. <laughs> Since all but one of the year's Best Picture nominees were somber, austere films and nothing to shout about. Oh, my. Yeah. So kind of like a harsh criticism. The Boston Globe um, columnist Bruce McCabe wrote, quote, Given the trauma of the past few days, the Academy Awards show conducted itself rather well. No one really disgraced himself. There were no political speeches. So. Oh, Hmm. There you go. Interesting. Um, it, it didn't do quite as well as it had in the past. Um, 39.9 million people watched the whole thing. Um which was a 19% decrease from the previous year. Oh, wow. Um, there were, uh, I think it's estimated at 75 million total viewers for all parts, like at some point, not necessarily the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got lower Nielsen ratings um, with uh, 31% of households watching over a 58% share. So just hmm. kind of like generally not as popular. And I, I'm kind of surprised considering the like hubbub, you know, you would think people would tune in. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
if it was not on the night you were going to watch, then mm, you may not true. watch it. Yeah, I guess that is true. Also, like, the films that are up for awards are not the most popular films this year. Yes, it's true. It's true. Well, and I, yeah, we can talk about more of that too. Yeah. But all that said, um, it did still win an Emmy at the 33rd Primetime oh, Emmys. Um, wow. For Outstanding Art Direction for a Variety Program, that went to uh, art director Roy Christopher. Hmm. So, you know, it's the ceremony. Yeah, right. So getting into some just stuff about this ceremony and the films and all that kind of stuff. Um, the Elephant Man and Raging Bull both tied with the most nominations with eight each. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ordinary People ended up winning the most with four wins. Mm-hmm. Um, Best Director winner, Robert Redford. Yeah. He becomes the third individual to win in this category for his directing debut. Oh, wow. Which is pretty cool. He's also the first actor to achieve that feat. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, this is his first ever Oscar. Yeah. So sad. He'd only been nominated once before, and it was for The Sting. Yeah. And we all know Robert Redford. He didn't get nominated for all the president's men. Yeah, I mean, he was just not really seen as a critical favorite. Yeah. He was just seen as more of a pop actor yeah yeah which good for him for kind of breaking through Mm -hmm. um speaking about just like directors winning for their debut film this has only happened six times in academy award history oh wow um so the people who've accomplished this are delbert mann for marty in 1955 Mm -hmm. jerome roberts for west side story in 61 Mm -hmm. robert redford for ordinary people in 1980 uh james l brooks for terms of endearment in 1983 kevin costner for dances with wolves right um, and also, it's funny because Martin Scorsese loses to two debuts. He oh, loses to Kevin Costner and to Robert Redford, huh. which is just like an interesting thing. And then finally, um, Sam Mendes for American Beauty. Oh, wow. That was his debut. Yeah. Whoa. Isn't that a crazy debut? That is crazy. <laughs> uh, hmm. But yeah, congrats to him for uh, breaking through. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Best Supporting Actor winner Timothy Hutton was 20 when he won this Supporting Actor, which is mm-hmm. insane. First of all, I, I have a lot of problems with this ceremony and the awards shakeout this year. I don't understand why they would put him in Supporting Actor. Does that make any sense to you? Um, I was trying to read about this and why this would have happened. Okay. I think it was because they knew he could win in that category and not yeah. in lead. Yeah. I'm also losing my mind. About the fact that Judd Hirsch gets nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but Donald Sutherland doesn't? Well, that's another thing. I'm losing my mind. A lot of people say that that is one of the top five acting snubs still in Oscar history. I would agree. If I did this, I would put Timothy Hutton in lead and then put Donald Sutherland in The problem is there was no way that anyone was going to win lead actor over De Niro. Correct. That is valid. That is very valid. I understand. But I hate it. I hate it. I don't like it. I, I'm glad that Timothy Hutton won. He definitely deserved. He did a great job. Mm-hmm. It was a great performance. I was very impressed. Well, and again, you're not going to nominate three from the same film in support. I don't know why Judd Hirsch got nominated. Because he's really good. I mean, a lot of it is political, too, of like <sighs> nominating that kind of a character. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's also extremely popular of the moment because he's the lead in Taxi, the comedy oh, series on television gotcha okay so he's like one of the it people in hollywood mm, right now mm-hmm. the same way that mary tyler moore is when she does this too yeah okay i see that that helps flesh it out a little bit for me i just thought his performance was so boring in one note and didn't do anything for the film so <laughs> <laughs> okay 
But I, I got to get through this outline. So we're going to keep going. Similarly, um, what, or sorry, not similarly. I don't know. Um, also interesting is that this year, Eva Lagayen, I believe that's how it's pronounced, um, becomes the oldest person nominated for an acting Oscar at this time at age 82. So you have both oh, wow. the youngest acting winner for a male and then the oldest person just in general hmm. uh, to get nominated at all. So she's 82. Um, this record gets broken by Jessica Tandy um, for Fried mm. Green Tomatoes in 91. Um, and then after that, again, um, Gloria Stewart broke the record for her nomination for Titanic at 87. Oh my gosh. I forget that she was nominated. Isn't that crazy? It's going to be, the nineties are going to be real fun. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that is, uh, very indicative of where the Academy is headed, at least to me, Mm -hmm. is that seven of the 20 acting nominations were for portrayals of real life people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned this because I saw this too. (laughs) Okay. So the people who are are this uh, or the films are Coal Miner's Daughter, Raging Bull, and Melvin and Howard all have real life mm-hmm. counterparts. And three of the four winners, so Best Actor, also Best Actor. Elephant Man. Oh, and the Elephant Man. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't mention that. I guess it. Yeah, you're right. Joseph um, Merrick. I know. I know. <laughs> also a phenomenal film. I love that one too. Yeah. That's a different thing though. He should have won Best Supporting Actor. Sorry, <laughs> Timothy Hutton. But like... <laughs> Your performance was nothing compared to him. <laughs> valid. That is valid. Um, but as I was trying to say, uh, three of the four winners, so Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actress, are all portraying real people. So yeah, the only wow. person who's a fictional character is Timothy Hutton. <laughs> Again. Nuts. Uh, the other thing I just want to mention, because we're not going to talk about the coal miner's daughter or anything, but that Sissy Spacek, who does win, mm-hmm. um, she was handpicked by Loretta Lynn to play her. She did all her own singing and mm-hmm. was very, um, They, the two of them were both very involved in the process and like, it was a very positive. Well, and it's also like, no offense to Sissy Spacek, but like, it's like the thing that she was intended for. Totally, totally. Like, She's never like none of her other roles come close to what she did in that film. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She's not the best actress, I, in my opinion, but she's very good sure. in this film. Yeah, I would agree. Um, okay, moving right along. Um, Ordinary People is the last Best Picture winner without a film editing nomination. Oh my! Yeah, just take that in for a second. Wow, that is so many films. Yeah. So for the rest of time. All, all of the winners pic- all the are going to get a nomination for film editing. editing. Interesting. Not all the nominees, but all the winners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just making sure that's clear. But that's a lot of films. Yeah, I know. Because that's like 40-some films. Yeah. So it's just like a weird stat that I pulled out. Hmm. And I was like, oh, that's just so interesting. Hmm. So, yeah. Uh, this year also, the film Fame becomes the first film to earn two nominations for Best Original Song. Uh-huh. Um, another thing that I have talked about previously, but has now finally happened, is that the Elephant Man was not recognized for makeup and hairstyling. Mm-hmm. Um, because and, there is no makeup and hairstyling award. Yes. So because of their incredible achievements that were not recognized, the category is created for next year. So we will add that to our list of things. Which is crazy because like they've given honorary awards for makeup and hairstyling. Yeah. And I can't recall why I talked about this in the past. Like one of the the things spurred this on. I think it was like Planet of the Apes or something. Yeah. I mean, a few films have won those. Yeah. They're getting honorary mentions and achievements for fantastic styling and innovation and creation of hair and makeup and Mm -hmm. prosthetics and all that kind of stuff. So it's finally happening because the elephant man has tipped the scale. 
Um, another thing that's just worth mentioning of this year, maybe you'll mention this, I don't know, is that I just thought this was weird that The Shining got no recognition at all at the Academy Awards. I mean, the we've talked about this already. The Academy just does not like Stanley Kubrick. I know, I know. But I just had to throw it out there because I love that movie. It's also like very horror compared to sure. some of his other ones. Sure. And I don't know. Yeah. At this point in time, the Academy, because of how horror is in mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s, <laughs> is like, that's a dumb genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So The reason I felt I had to mention that was in many of the articles I read about this ceremony, this was brought up specifically um, about Jack Nicholson and his mm-hmm. performance and how it's one of the best, if not the best, of his career and that it's a shame that it didn't get recognized. Mm-hmm. So, oh, oh, the other reason is that... Um, is because of the innovations in Steadicam. Yes. Uh, Which, of course, has also already been recognized by the Academy. Yes. Uh, But. Yes. But, you know, this is a new thing that people are exploring, and it it really takes advantage of storytelling with the Steadicam. So Mm -hmm. just another thing people were up in arms about is the cinematography snub. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I wanted to mention today is that there's a weird uh, mix-up that happens. It's kind of hard to, like, be sure about so i'm going to kind of do my best to describe what happens Mm. so uh during the presentation of the award for best animated short film it goes to the film the fly uh presenters alan arkin and margot kidder announced that the film's director ferrick refuse is not able to attend the ceremony and so they are accepting it on his behalf but as as they're saying Uh, this okay i know okay yeah so as they're saying this uh a man who was not identified when this happened. It was after the fact that he was identified. Walks onto the stage. We find out later that it, his name is Istvan Dosai. He's the Hungario film general manager. Um, he comes up and accepts the award in lieu of the absent filmmaker. Um, so everybody gets a little bit confused by this because they have said something different than what is happening. And it's mm-hmm. just like a weird moment. And so this is from the Hungarian delegation. Um, Mabel Arch Films publicist Regina Gross, who was in charge of the Hungarian delegation at the Oscars, said that Rofus, who's the director, contacted Dosai to accept the award on his behalf. But the Academy officials had asked him not to come up on stage unless his name was announced because they were still figuring out the logistics of what was happening. Uh. So... It's one of those things where the Academy wasn't totally sure, so they do what they're doing, and it's just safer to just accept it on their behalf. But this guy has been told that this is what he's supposed to do, so this is what he does. Interesting. So it just leads to a weird mix-up. Um, then what's also strange about it is like everybody kind of has like a weird story about it afterwards. So he goes backstage. He poses for pictures with the Oscar, but then he doesn't return to his seat. He like leaves for a little bit. He like leaves the ceremony. And according to the security chief for the Academy Awards, Jerry Moon, um, the AMPAS contacted LAPD to issue a search warrant for him for theft. But also this has been discredited because the Academy doesn't comment on it. They don't like Hmm. acknowledge this, whatever. And spokesperson for the Academy, Art Sarno, denied that they had contacted the police and said that uh, this guy just like returned the statuette to the Academy during the post-awards banquet. Huh. Like just was like, oh, here, you can have this back and get it engraved and, you know, do all the things you're Mm -hmm. supposed to do. So just like a weird thing that like kind of confused people, kind of was awkward and like, I don't know. 
I don't think anything wrong happened. My understanding of it from the context that I was able to get is that it was just a misunderstanding, like a miscommunication between the Hungarian uh, delegates and the academy. Well, and he was probably there somewhere and didn't know where he was and was walking around the building. Like, (laughs) he probably didn't leave. Yeah. Well, and also it would be really hard to leave. Yeah, right. Someone would see you. Someone would be like, hey, sir, go back to your seat. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're carrying an Oscar. That's like a calling card Mm -hmm. to people. So... Anyways, that's the last thing I got to mention today. And with that, I want to take us through the Academy Award winners for this year. Mm-hmm. Starting with Best Picture, of course, goes to Ordinary People, Ronard L. Schwari producing. Best Director goes to Robert Redford for Ordinary People. Best Actor goes to Robert De Niro for Raging Bull. Best Actress goes to Sissy Spacek for Coal Miner's Daughter. Best Supporting Actor goes to Timothy Hutton. Best Supporting Actress goes to Mary Steenburgen. Mm-hmm. Hooray! I yeah. love her. I didn't know that this is what she won for. She she wins for Melvin and Howard. Yes. Um, but congrats to her. I love her. Um, best screenplay written directly for the screen goes to Melvin and Howard, Bo Goldman. Mm-hmm. Best screenplay based on material from another medium goes to Ordinary People, Alvin Sargent, based on the novel. Best foreign language film goes to Moscow Does Not Believe in Tears from the Soviet Union slash Russia. Mm-hmm. Best Documentary Feature goes to From Mao to Mozart, Isaac Stern in China. Best Documentary Short Subject goes to Carl Hess, Toward Liberty. Best Live Action Short Film goes to The Dollar Bottom. Best Animated Short Film goes to The Fly. Best Original Score goes to Fame, Michael Gore. Best Original Song goes to Fame from Fame. Mm -hmm. Best Sound goes to The Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. Best Costume Design goes to Tess. Best Art Direction also goes to Tess. Best Cinematography also goes to Tess. And finally, Best Film Editing goes to Raging Bull, Thelma Schoonmaker. Yeah. Congrats to her, of course. She's been on the radar. There is an Academy Honorary Award given out this year to Henry Fonda. Uh-huh. Uh, just simply for his contributions and accomplishments. Yeah. Um, and there is also a Special Achievement Award given out to Brian Johnson, Richard Edlund, Dennis Murin and Bruce Nicholson for visual effects in The Empire Strikes Back. Uh-huh. And I personally think it's very silly that they don't give an honorary award to the Elephant Man. Yeah, here. right. That they would, could have given another, you know, made the most sense. achievement award. Uh, but uh, people riot after this because of that. Not riot, but they get up in arms about it afterwards because it's not given mm-hmm. an honorary award. Which is good. I mean, it's good that they did that. Yeah, and that absolutely. It became an award next year. Yeah. It's uh, overdue. So in the end, um, as I had kind of mentioned, The Elephant Man and Raging Bull had eight nominations. But when things kind of shook out, Ordinary People won four, Tess won three, Vampire Strikes Back, Fame, Melvin and Howard, and Raging Bull all won two, and the rest won or nothing. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, It's funny how the Academy goes through waves of, like, films get ten or more, Mm -hmm. or, like, five or less. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just one of those times. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, that's what I have to share today. It's a very interesting time. I mean, all these have been interesting to me, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it's I, there's always, always change a, afoot. Well, and we are in the era of family dramas being the most yes. important, specifically with... Uh, Mean Mothers. I know. I I was very eager to talk about this on the podcast because it's so interesting, the perspective on women and motherhood and Mm -hmm. like in the films of this era. As you all know, listeners, I am 
not good at film history. This is all new to me. So I am learning as we go. So I haven't seen any of these films. And uh, it's been very interesting to see this like shift. And it's very positive, I Mm -hmm. think. I think it's great to allow women to be villains and Mm -hmm. like to show them so nuanced. And I mean, both with Kramer versus Kramer and ordinary people and all that kind of stuff. The women are so of another era. So like this mother... um, uh, I forget Beth. her name, Beth. Um, she is such a woman from the fifties and sixties. Like I can just see it. I can see her in her entirety, like as a teenager thinking that this is how the world works and like how her perspective has been shifted. And like, she isn't fitting in the world anymore. Like mm-hmm. her values and the way she deals with things and the way she thinks society should be, isn't lining up with like the contemporary stuff. And the father who has empathy and is willing to listen and to change is able to keep up and to keep the family alive, but she isn't. And that's like her biggest failing. And obviously I'm just doing film analysis. Mm -hmm. Sorry for you listeners, but it was very exciting to me. The same way that Kramer versus Kramer was very exciting to me. Mm -hmm. The times are changing. For the better. The eighties. Yeah. (laughs) I've been waiting through all these big movie musicals to get here. Uh Uh-huh. And my time has come. You like movie musicals. I do, I do, I do. But, you know, this is what I live for. Okay. Well, and with that, I will uh, hush up for a little bit and uh, (laughs) let you tell us about the film Ordinary People because I am eager to learn about it. Yes. So let's get to it. Uh, Starting, of course, with the year 1980 because Mm. we are now in the 80s. Uh, First with some famous births. So we have Lin-Manuel Miranda, Zoe Deschanel, Jason Siegel, William Jackson Harper, Christina Ricci, Rebel Wilson, Laura Prepon, Matthew Gray Goobler, Kate Micucci, Channing Tatum, Jason Schwartzman, Olivia Munn, Kristen Bell, Macaulay Culkin, Chris Pine, Michelle Williams, Ben Savage, Zachary Levi, Ben Wishaw, Ryan Gosling, and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh my gosh. All the people that I grew up thinking were really cool. <laughs> wow. A lot of three-namers too, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, some big debuts this year. We have Drew Barrymore, Pierce Brosnan, Joan Cusack, Willem Dafoe, Michael J. Fox, Tom Hanks, William Hurt, Elizabeth McGovern, Juliette Lewis, Catherine O'Hara, Ed O'Neill, Michelle Pfeiffer, Gene Smart, Kurtwood Smith, John Turturro, and Bruce Willis. What a great cohort. So many. And there were a lot this year for some reason. I don't know. Hmm. I think we're just getting to that era where like a lot more people are still known. Mm. But Mm -hmm. like, so they haven't really fallen off the map like they will in another 20 years. Sure. (laughs) Um, And then some deaths this year in 1980. Uh, We have James Poe, who was a screenwriter. He received three nominations uh, in his career, and he had one win for Around the World in 80 Days. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Alfred Hitchcock died this year. Oh, sad. uh, Which seems so late. I didn't realize he was so young, like, when he was getting Mm, into Hollywood. Like when Rebecca happened. Yeah. Which is, like, the 13th film or 14th or something. Uh Yeah. Um, So, of course, he was a director and producer. Uh, He was nominated five times for Best Director with no wins. And he did win the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. And, of course, uh, his film, Rebecca, won Best Picture. Yes. How crazy to have someone who has been around since the teens. Yeah. That's amazing. Next, we have Hugh Griffith. He was an actor. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor twice. And he got one win for Ben-Hur. 
we also talked oh, about him yes. when he was in Tom Jones as right, well. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I remember. Very famous character actor. Um, next, we have Dor Sherry. Uh, he was a screenwriter and documentarian. He was nominated for six Oscars. Uh, and he just had a really interesting spread of Oscars. So I just want to read those out, what he got nominated for. Um, so he was nominated for Best Writing. Uh, he also won Original Story for Boys Town in 1939. Um, he also was nominated for Best Documentary. Oh. Um, best Documentary Short Subject and Best Short Subject Too Real. Okay. So he's just a filmmaker all yeah. around. Not just. He is a filmmaker all yeah. around. <laughs> um, next, we have Barbara O'Neill. She was an actress. Um, she was nominated once for Best Supporting Actress for All This and Heaven Too. Oh, yes. Um, then we have Lewis Milestone. Oh, no. Beloved director of one of my favorite. Pro- I think it's still in my number one slot. I don't all think quiet so. Quiet on the Western Front. I think it's two or three. Two or three. I don't remember. But it's up there. Top five for me. Um, of course, he was a director. Uh, he got three Best Director nominations, and he had two wins wow. uh, for Two Arabian Nights and All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, he had three those three nominations in the first four years of the Academy. Right. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, next, we have Steve McQueen. Uh, tragically died. Uh, he was an actor. He had one nomination for Best Lead Actor in The Sand Pebbles. He died at only 50. Um, he mm. had pretty intense cancer mm. and then ended up having a heart attack after the surgery. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. That's really sad. Um, then we have Bill Lee. He was an actor and singer. Um, he, like Marnie Nixon, was famous for his singing voice. Uh, he sang in many, many musicals, uh. dubbing other people's voices. Um, he also sang in like five or six Disney films. Oh, any characters I would know? Just lots of background characters. Oh, I see. Yeah. But his voice is featured in many of them. Wow. Um, then we have Mae West, uh, actress and sex symbol of the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Uh, she was one of the most bankable uh, female stars of that era. And last but not least, John Lennon. Oh, yes. Is mm. uh, tragically murdered this year. Of course, he was a Beatle and <laughs> oh. a filmmaker and an activist. <laughs> Uh, a filmmaker loosely <laughs> he made a lot of films i guess you're right you're right you're right you're right <sighs> um and then we have some news uh from n- the year 1980 of course we've already talked about him but this is when former actor ronald reagan is <laughs> elected as president of the united states mm-hmm. in november of 1980 former uh, musical star <laughs> uh-huh. Um, Sherry Lansing, at only age 35, becomes the first woman to lead a major studio when she is hired as president of production at 20th Century Fox. Heck yeah, girl. Get it. So congrats to her. She is, uh, in Hollywood history, one of the... One of the greats. Yeah. Uh, she goes on to lead several studios in her career and is considered one of the best producers out there. Amazing. Um, Friday the 13th premieres this year, beginning Mm. the longest running, most prolific, and most financially successful horror film series of all time. All right. The Cable News Network, CNN, is started (laughs) by Ted Turner and becomes the first 24-7 news outlet on television. Somehow I didn't know that's what that stood for. Yep. All right. The Cable News Network. (laughs) Very boring. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, so times are changing in that sense too. Yeah, twenty four seven news coverage. Yeah, it's a new form of entertainment Boy, for the masses. For the worst of American society. <laughs> Um, the Guinness Book of World Records names director King Vidor as having the longest film career ever in 1980, a 67-year wow. career, uh, having directed his first film in 1913 and his most recent and last film in 1980. Hmm. Has that been surpassed or no? I do not know. Probably. Interesting. So that brings us to uh, the 35th Tony Awards happening for the year of plays from 1979 to 1980. Uh, Amadeus is the best oh, play. Okay. Leading when does that win best picture? Uh, pretty soon. Okay. Okay. So it's coming. Yes. In the mid 80s. Uh, and then 42nd Street wins best yeah. musical. Oh, fun. Fun. Yeah. Fun. Uh, and Pirates of Penzance wins best <laughs> revival. <laughs> That'd be fun. It's still funny because the best revival is just like, most innovative revival of a pr- of a production. Mm-hmm. The other ones are Brigadoon, Camelot, and The Little Foxes oh that my. got nominated. What? How is The Little Foxes supposed to win? I don't know. It's a play. Yeah. Yeah, there's a musicals. They're well, all up for the same award? Innovative revival. <laughs> okay. It hasn't been split yet. <laughs> um, also, Ian McKellen wins for Amadeus uh, as Salieri, oh, oh, oh. beating Tim Curry, who played Mozart. <gasps> Um, and it begins. Am- and Amadeus got seven nominations and five wins. Nice. So of course Two it is of the greats busting out on the scene, and we will talk about it again very soon when it wins Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this year uh, was the thirty-second Emmy Awards, um, and Patty Duke comes full circle, winning her Emmy for playing Anne Sullivan in All the right. TV version of The Miracle Worker. If after, you find something uh, that works for you, you stick with it. Yeah, after winning the uh, Tony and Academy Award playing... For the same role. No. No? For playing oh, Helen that's Keller. that's right. That's right. She was Helen Keller. Yeah. That's, right. that's why she's come full circle. Uh, right, right, she's right. now an adult actress You're playing right. Anne Sullivan. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So congrats to her. Congrats. That's cool. Um, and now we come to ordinary people. Who said that? Like it's so ordinary. <laughs> well, and ordinary people. Um, and just as a blanket statement ahead of this, the film mm. deals primarily with suicide. Yes. And attempted suicide. So we're going to be mentioning that several times. Yes. Uh, so if you'd like to skip this one, feel free. So a recap. Um, the Jarrett's are learning how to cope through the tragedy of losing their oldest son, Buck, and the attempted suicide of their younger son, Conrad. Conrad struggles to fit in after four months of recovery in a psychiatric hospital, and he begins seeing a therapist, Dr. Berger, to help him work through his PTSD. Calvin Jarrett tries to connect with his son, Conrad, and is empathetic to his son's needs and doesn't understand why his wife, Beth, doesn't try to connect with him on a deeper level. Calvin continues to be caught in the middle of Beth and Conrad's fights, and he finds himself more and more on his son's side. Calvin goes to see Dr. Berger and feels he's had a breakthrough, but his wife is still unreceptive to change or therapy for herself. After a friend of Conrad's kills herself, he rushes to see Dr. Berger and has a breakthrough of his own in realizing he needs to forgive himself for his brother's tragic death. He tries one more time to show his mother affection, but she denies it, leading Calvin to confront her yet again, but she decides to leave rather than face her feelings and her family. Calvin and Conrad realize they'll always have each other as they begin to think of what life might be like without Beth. 
Hmm. That was good. Yeah. I think one of the things, as you were saying that, that was so profound to me too about this movie was the breath of fresh air at the end Mm. when Beth has left Mm -hmm. and it's the two of them outside. And like, it's like the dark (sighs) cloud that is like, uh, I mean, it's like the poison in their lives is gone now. Yeah. And it feels so wrong to like want that, you know, Mm -hmm. to want to get rid of your mother or your wife. But like, it's just so profoundly different. You feel the difference and you see them look to each other and like feel the comfort of one another unabashedly. Mm-hmm. Whereas they're well, and they both look at each other and they're like, I have nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Like, and they, you're totally fine. They're both willing to, to work. Like they mm-hmm. are both putting in the effort. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's very interesting. It was interesting reading about this film and the way that people have taken her character and how she, Mary Tyler Moore took Mm -hmm. her character and Robert Redford Mm -hmm. and both of them were very insistent that she was a victim Mm -hmm. and not an aggressor Mm -hmm. um, because of the way that she I mean the things that happened to her in her life losing her son yeah Um, yeah and both of them felt very related to this character because they could both see their fathers in the mm, mother character. Yeah. Okay. And that's how they operated with their, both of their uh, fathers. Gotcha. Um, well, which is why they yeah. both had so much affection for her character. Yeah. That makes sense. And the other thing about it is like, there are so many qualities about her that you see that she's like, like she's not doing the wrong thing. She's well, and on the surface, care. she's doing exactly what, what she's she meant should, to. Yeah. What's yeah. the right thing to do? You know, you provide for your son. I mean, she says over and over, how could a mother hate their son? Mm-hmm. But her actions are, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is all just about the film analysis, yeah. but yeah. And it's very surprising. She's one of the most toxic characters. I feel like we've come across so far, yeah. like mm-hmm. just the way that she operates with people and the way that she is so blind to her own actions mm-hmm. yeah anyways we'll keep talking about this uh this film had a budget of <laughs> 6.2 million dollars and uh, it grossed 90 million dollars okay nice, so it was nice. pretty financially successful um it was number 10 or 11 at the box office for 1980 okay i don't know why there was discrepancies but okay um so uh robert redford Let's talk about him. Sure. Uh, He, at this time in his life, is known as one of Hollywood's most bankable stars, uh, basically from the late 60s through all of the 70s. Like Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, he's Mm -hmm. like one of the biggest money-making stars. Basically, if he's in your film, it's going to make a ton of money. Yeah. Um, He also has a lot of clout in Hollywood and has been producing some of his films that he's been acting in, too, Mm. um, and just sort of like generating some goodwill as a producer. Yeah. But he's been really eager to do something new, uh, primarily directing, which he said, like, once he started directing, he said that he sort of always knew he wanted to direct Mm. before that. Mm -hmm. And just, like, the right thing hadn't come along. Um, Also, at this time, he turns his efforts to uh, creating the Sundance Film Festival. Yes. Yeah. That's the other thing that's crazy. It's, like, both at the same time. Yeah. And so he's, like trying to branch out and do other things. He has a ton of money now, lots of disposable income. Isn't and not just can the dream. Just like do some things he wants to do. To like become so rich and successful that then you get to like <laughs> do your creative endeavors, man. He's yeah. taking the Burt Lancaster uh-huh. route. Yeah. I love that. 
Um, so he spent a few years looking for the right story to direct, um, something that he said, quote, was about behavior and feelings. And when I read Judith Guest's book, I thought, this is it. Behavior and feelings. It's very generic. <laughs> um, so the book, of course, is Ordinary People by Judith Guest, um, which was just about to be released when he read it. Okay. Um, and it is her first novel. Wow. Double debuts here. Yeah, which is crazy. It was sent by her publisher around Hollywood and ended mm. up landing on his desk, and he really loved it. Um, he called her sort of out of the blue after he read it, and she did not believe that it was him because <laughs> uh, she said later on that she thought it was her brothers because they were oh. big pranksters. Because oh, he called her up dangerous. and was like, hi, this is Robert Redford. <laughs> and she's like, no, it isn't. And he says, it is actually. <laughs> That's funny. Prove it. Um, so she was relieved to hear that it was him and that wow. he wanted to make her uh, book into a film. So he ended up buying it himself and he hired Alvin Sargent to adapt the script. Um, he was currently on a string of very successful films, including The Sterile Cuckoo, The Effect of Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon Marigolds, Paper Moon, and Julia, uh, for which he just received a nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. So Redford ended up keeping Guest involved, uh, which she was thrilled by. He kept asking if she had any notes and who he thought uh, would want to play each part. He was like constantly giving her updates on everything, mm. which she was very excited by. Aww, yeah. Um, they ended up adapting the novel quite a bit. There's a lot more like teen drama in the oh, novel, okay. um, which is part of why it's one of the most historically banned books in oh. America. Interesting. Um, there's like a teen sex scene in it hmm. um, and just other content. And so it's frequently one of the most banned books oh my. in the country. That's surprising. Yeah, because it is all about the family unit aspect of the story in the movie. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of the like more teen oriented stuff was taken out. Gotcha. I mean, that's smart. Um, most of the studios ended up passing on the project saying that it was not commercial enough. Um, they <laughs> well. didn't know how they were going to sell it. Uh, <laughs> That's valid. but Paramount executive Barry Diller found it very interesting and decided to fund it, uh, banking on Redford as an artist. And he basically mm. gave him free reign to make the movie. He was like, it's your first movie. Just do whatever you want. I trust you as an artist and you can make it good. Mm-hmm. Um, which Redford said was one of the greatest gifts he could have got for his first movie. That's great. At some point in the process, not sure when, hard to pin down, uh, Redford noticed a sad-looking woman walking along the beach near his home in Malibu, and she got him thinking about the character of Beth, and he was like, that's exactly what I want this woman, Beth, to be (laughs) in the movie. Um, Then as he got a little closer to the woman, he realized that it was Mary Tyler Moore. (gasps) walking oh on the beach are you serious <laughs> yes oh i gotta watch how i walk around because <laughs> i don't want to be someone's inspiration for a sad sack and then they're like oh that's Kristen." <laughs> but it was like providence yeah yeah um so he didn't approach her on that day <laughs> obviously she was going through something yeah. so he ended up keeping it to himself and then was thinking of Beth as her. Like every time oh. he pictured Beth, he was thinking of mm-hmm. Mary Tyler Moore. Um, so later he called her up to audition for the film. Um, How did she respond to that? Like, I don't know. It just, at least from what I know of her, it doesn't seem like. I've what, got a good okay. quote. Okay. All, All right, right. Great. So 
she was very excited to audition for the film. Um, mostly because she really wanted to challenge herself and yeah. shake her sort of squeaky clean yeah. like comedy image. Totally. Um, of course, she had been in the Dick Van Dyke show and the Mary Tyler Moore show. Right. So, um, so she had this to say, quote, Redford was warm and funny and very charming. He told me I was the one whose face he saw as he read the book. Beth was the character he said he most cared about, and he wanted her portrayed with sensitivity, and he wanted me. This was Robert Redford. How could I say no? Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. I love that. Then Redford was interested in casting Gene Hackman as Calvin, uh, which would have been very different. Very different. Uh, But he was either uninterested or too busy. I couldn't really tell. Um, And he auditioned Donald Sutherland for Dr. Berger. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Which I thought would have been really good. Yeah. Uh, but Sutherland asked if he'd be able to play Calvin instead. And so Redford agreed that he could probably good play that role. Good for him for advocating for himself. Um, and then, of course, he cast Judd Hirsch. He liked Judd Hirsch's performance in Taxi, the mm-hmm. show, and thought he would be really good in this because his character in that was a little neurotic. And he wanted mm-hmm. the... Uh, therapist to seem a little bit crazy yeah i mean and i think it serves the story very well that he's a little bit scary yeah for the normal person timothy hutton ended up going through five or six rounds of auditions for conrad uh which he did not realize at the time was that many like he thought that was normal you would Mm, just always went through a bunch of rounds yeah is this his first thing it's not his first thing okay no um, but he had recently actually just lost his own father, uh, actor Jim Hutton, to cancer, um, who was only 45 when he died, which is <gasps> oh, crazy. Oh, that's so sad. Um, so he felt very close to the role, yeah. and especially like dealing with a lost loved one. Yeah. Um, and he was only 19 when he was cast wow. and during the filming. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth McGovern. Yeah. This is her first role. Okay. Um, she had just been accepted to Juilliard when Redford mm. cast her. Um, so she had to get a special permission from Juilliard to take time out of her first semester to film. Her first semester? Oh yes. my gosh. And she was the first student that was ever given special permission to film a movie she was while like, in school. She was like, it's with Robert Redford. Yeah. Believe me. Well, and it's interesting because her class is seen as a very like prestigious one that she was uh, with. Um, Kevin Spacey was also in her class uh, and a few other actors. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, very interesting start to her career. What a great start. Yeah. Also, it's hard to, like, keep going after that. It's like... Yeah, I was, like, very oh. surprised she decided to keep... I mean, she went through all three years at wow, Juilliard. impressive. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a weird thing that I couldn't corroborate. There was one source that said it, and I couldn't find another that said it. Okay. But there was a rumor that she only filmed on weekends, too. So that she could still be in school and attend classes. Hmm. And she would fly out uh, from New York to Chicago on Friday night and then film on Saturday and some of Sunday morning and then fly back to New York. Boy, talk about a high for an artist. But I don't, oh. I couldn't find if that was actually true sure, or sure, if that sure, was sure. just one of those like, oh, wouldn't that be so amazing? Right, yeah. She was in Juilliard and she was doing this thing. <laughs> that's like what I just said. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> One thing that Redford did was he set up a, a, an atmosphere on set that was very conducive for all the actors to work. Mm. Um, especially because he was an actor first. Totally. 
Um, so one thing that he did was he instructed all the other actors and the crew to leave Timothy Hutton alone as much as possible. Mm. Um, except for Judd Hirsch, who mm. grew very close to Hutton. Mm. Um, so they had the closest relationship of any two people on the set. Hmm. Um, and they would, because of this, Hutton constantly would go to him and he was like, you're my mm. only friend here on this set. For some reason, everybody's avoiding me. And like, <laughs> oh, no. he would confide in him. He got to talk through his father's death a lot with him and build like a good relationship with him. Were those billable hours? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Mary Tyler Moore said only a couple of words to him off wow. camera the whole how, entire time filming. How disappointing though to be like, I'm doing a film with Mary Tyler Moore and then like not talk to her the whole time. Well, he later said that like, they became friends afterward and after he realized what yeah. had what Redford sure. had done for him to yeah. like help him and like said she's the most wonderful person. Yeah. So they, you know, had a cast party and everyone was like, surprise, we all really liked you. Yeah. Um, well, and one thing that was really, really sweet is she presented his award. Oh, so she cute. presented Best Supporting Actor. Oh. And when she opened the envelope, she like briefly looked up at him and made eye contact with him <laughs> before he said before his name was called and he like realized that he had won Aww, before she said her precious. His name. so precious so they got to be sweet friends after good um oh but uh hutton said this about the whole process quote it was tough i didn't know what was going on if i had been aware of the strategy it would have been easier for me but it would have defeated the brilliant purpose redford had in mind which was to keep me off balance the whole thing was very intense. I remember being in my hotel room and I would pace back and forth thinking, I don't know how I'm doing. I don't know if I'm getting it right. I kept a journal and I wrote every day. Years later, I read it and it really did read like Conrad. Wow. That's cool. Man, I love an actor's <laughs> director. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So he was like super focused on every piece of this, especially the acting and oh. like getting everything right. Robert Redford. Uh-huh. Um, one interesting story is that Donald Sutherland was super into just doing anything like he, he it was and is known as an actor who could literally do anything you asked him to do mm. on screen. And so he was very excited about the scene where he tells Beth off. Yeah. Um, and so when they originally filmed it, he had all this energy mm. because he was so excited about it. And it was very aggressive yeah. and loud and angry. And he like wept constantly through the whole filming of it. And then months later, while they were editing it, and this also goes back and forth, who Robert Redford says it slightly differently. And he says it, Sutherland also says it slightly differently, whose idea it was. But they ended up coming to the conclusion that they needed to reshoot that scene. Hmm. And Mary Tyler Moore was not available. Oh. So they shot all of his side of that scene with him acting opposite Robert Redford. <laughs> oh my gosh. Which is amazing. And so wow. they were able to like tone it way down. Yeah. They like, and Robert Redford was able to like act through it all with him mm-hmm. and got him to like, give that performance then that's in the film wow that's very cool i mean also it's like it, it kills me that he didn't get a nomination because that's the clip you show right, yeah, right. before <laughs> you announce donald sutherland for ordinary people and then it's beth i blah 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 <laughs> I don't think do you, you love, love me him? Anymore. Yeah. do you love me you know how i feel about you <laughs> 
Yeah, so that's a fun story. Um, so another major piece of the film was the music, uh, primarily Paco Bell's canon, yeah. which is very, very weird. S- I, I don't think I really understood the connection. Okay, so at the time, it's not a wedding song. Okay, that helps. Yeah. I was just very confused. I was like, nobody's talking about marriage. It's one of those instances kind of like uh, when a popular a song becomes popular because of a movie. So this is just a popular classical song that got way more popular because of this film. People are like, wow, I love ordinary people. I want to get married to that. I don't understand how it got from this movie getting popular to then a marriage song. Interesting. So I don't know. I okay. was trying to look up some about that, but that's for a different to podcast yeah. to to do. Um, it ended up being uh, used six times in the film to punctuate the most important moments of the film, and each time it's arranged slightly differently to mm-hmm. like help that moment Mm -hmm. just very interesting and then also the script is very very sparse um it's like critiqued and shown as one of like the best less is more scripts Mm. in hollywood history that is so interesting that you say that because it doesn't feel sparse well i don't have a recollection of that the main thing is that everything is very normal like all the language in it is very ordinary and very like I wonder why. Yeah. And very just normal everyday language, everyday conversations that mm. any person could be having. Um it's like not really set in any time or any place and it's just very mm-hmm. like run of the mill, not overly flowery in yeah. any way. It's like the basest each conversation can be. Mm. When I was even thinking, watching it, I was like, this is like a good scene study yeah. movie. Like mm-hmm. you could take any of these scenes and bring it into a class right. and do them. Yeah. And that's why he won. There you go. Shout out to Alan Sargent. Yeah. For a great adaptation. Uh, I just wanted to read a couple of quotes, uh, critical quotes from this. Uh, Roger Ebert said, quote, the film setting is seen with an understated matter of factness. There are no cheap shots against suburban lifestyles or Mm. affluence or mannerisms. Mm. The problems of the people in this movie aren't caused by their milieu, but grow out of themselves. Mm. That's what sets the film apart from the sophisticated suburban soap opera it could have easily become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I loved this quote by Vincent Camby. Um, He said, a moving, intelligent, and funny film about disasters that are commonplace to everyone except the people who experience them. Oof. Ooh, yeah. Very Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Very astute. They should have made that the tagline of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just wanted to mention, too, because when we talked about Kramer versus Kramer, how, like, culturally relevant the film is. The other reason for the film's success is because it's very culturally relevant. Yeah. From 1970 to 1980, suicides in teenagers rose by 40%. Wow. And wow. particularly um, in young white males, they rose 50% from 70 to 80. Oh, my gosh. So it's definitely something that, like, culturally was on everyone's mind. Yeah. And, like, lots of people around the country were dealing with it, especially in, like, white suburban homes. Yeah. Well, that is very interesting because I definitely have a, like, mental picture and feeling mm-hmm. of that time period with 
that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, why. it was a huge epidemic in that time wow. in the seventies. Do you have any other information about that? Or I mean, a lot of it is just like a lot of societal change. I think in the same way that and reason why it rose from like two thousand to two thousand twenty, mm-hmm. where it's kind of that same like generational cycle yeah where like there's a lot of change a lot of social change and cultural change Mm -hmm. a lot of different social pressures and cultural pressures especially on young people as i don't know there's innovations in technology and innovations in you know all kinds of stuff and i think part of it is like a lot of drug use in the 70s definitely like affects some of that as well Mm -hmm. um substance abuse Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and it also it makes me think like a lot of like suburbia has lost its gleam from mm-hmm. the 50s and 60s and has become something a little bit different now for teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, and I would assume there's a lot of what people our age are going through now then as well, where it's a lot of people, older people who are looking back and saying, you know, the times are so great. Why is it any different now when mm-hmm. you're, you know, the way that there's a recession coming or mm-hmm. they're going through a slight recession in the 70s and 80s? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's a lot of a similar time yeah. to now. Interesting. Hmm. So it was a very uh, apt film. Yes, very. And I, I think it makes sense then why a lot of family dramas are being held up during this time, too. Yeah. Because they're very of the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, uh, we come to the end of our podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, and now it's time to thank the Academy. Yeah, boy. For things relating to the people, the films, the industry, this year in history. Mm-hmm. What would you like to thank the Academy for today, Kristen? Um, I would like to thank the Academy for something I've sort of thanked the Academy for in the past, mm-hmm. which is actor directors that want to do their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love a guy that's an artist through and through and loves all facets of the industry. Mm-hmm. And so I am always so impressed when I hear about people like that. And in this case, it's Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. I love hearing about someone who has a career as an actor, very successful in this case, who also wants to produce, who works on producing, who gets their debut film and invests their whole soul into it. Mm-hmm. And he's also doing Sundance and like all these other creative endeavors that like, I, I love people like that because that's what I think I ascribe to be and like what you ascribe to be as well and what we value as creative people. Mm-hmm. But I love hearing about that. And in this case, I love hearing about his creative approach to this film. I love yeah. it when directors are very much like, this is my passion. Here's how I'm going to do it. Here's how I'm going to cast it. Here's how I'm going to direct it. Here's how we're going to make this all work. And the actors are on board just as much as he is. And like, all those things come together. And in this case, it works out beautifully. Mm-hmm. I would like to thank the Academy for art imitating life. Ooh, yay. Uh, both with this one and with Kramer versus Kramer, obviously mm-hmm. they're easy to compare because they came out in Very successive <laughs> years and they're, they're both dark family dramas with some dark humor and like very real life. Mm-hmm. Very like, I don't know, but it's so like, it's nice to see movies like that being rewarded. Yeah. Um, even though this movie has not really 
I mean, I really knew nothing about this movie. Same. I had no idea what it was. And I don't feel like it's a movie that's like held up as one of the classics you must no. see. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot others just from this year that yeah. are like the biggest classics of all time. <laughs> right. Raging Bull. <laughs> right. <laughs> the Shining. The, the Empire Strikes Back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's nice when... I don't know. It's just a good trend for the Academy, I feel like. Yeah. In like recognizing that not every movie has to be like this huge blockbuster crazy her, we threw Lords all this money at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that it can be these like very like concise, intimate family mm-hmm. dramas that are just real. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because like the Academy now is kind of like consider like uh, they only like these like auteur films that Mm -hmm. are like gritty and whatever whatever they don't like blockbusters whatever whatever but it's just you know this is the place in time we are now Mm -hmm. where this is like a fresh and new thing Mm -hmm. and it makes me happy i as i've we've talked about in the past like i love films like this and there are films that have been like this like marty i think about marty a lot which also won the palme d'or like it's mm-hmm. a, a very simple film. It's not looked back on as like one of the greats or anything, but beautiful mm-hmm. and uh, wonderful to watch and really great film history, filmmaking, all those things. Well, and like these films are, uh, this one wasn't my favorite of these types of films, but these films are my favorite that have won Best Picture. Totally. Yeah. So thinking back on like The Lost Weekend. I was just going to say, that's another one. Marty. The Apartment. The apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These yeah. films that like have some element of dark comedy yeah. are very like rooted in reality, um, are very like small, intimate dramas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I would like to thank the Academy for Donald Sutherland, since apparently they don't want to thank themselves for him. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't get a chance to thank the Academy, so I'm going to thank for him. Good for him. I was so impressed with his performance. I thought he was just so wonderful in this film. And you watch him and you're like, when you're watching it, you're very invested, obviously, in the Mm -hmm. character in the movie. But afterwards, I was like, that is an actor. Like, Mm -hmm. you just, he's, he's acting his pants off. Like, he's just great. He's it's a great performance. It's a dynamic performance. Mm-hmm. I love the scene when him and Beth are in the car going to the party. Yeah. Like you see all the sides of this man and who he's trying to be versus who he is and It's also nice to see him and see a person playing just like a very sensitive father. Absolutely. I mean, and that may be why I was so enamored with him because yeah. I have a very sensitive father. Well, that and I like love. up to this point in history that's not really the norm in films. Right. Yeah. There's a few like outliers, but you know, because the times are changing and Mm -hmm. like gender norms are being changed a little bit and like culture is going through something Mm -hmm. like it's more acceptable for him to play this kind of role, which is great. Mm -hmm. And to still be perceived as like a very masculine father figure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, since you gave that thanks, will give a thanks for Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> All right. Because I mean, she phenomenal. should have won. She should have won. I agree. It's probably one of my favorite performances through all of like doing this podcast mm. because she's just so, you just like dislike her so much. I could not believe how much I disliked yeah. her. And like, yeah. like it how makes I just you red hot. Inside. I know. She just yeah. like makes you so angry and. Also, you can totally sympathize and understand 
why she feels justified in everything that she's doing. Well, and like, I have a great relationship with my mother, so it's not something that I relate (laughs) to on a personal level, but I have friends who have this relationship with their mother where their Mm -hmm. mother just doesn't get it and has all these like out, like outstanding expectations that like of how life is supposed to be, how a mother child relationship is supposed to be what she's owed from her child Mm -hmm. and how infuriating it is. And it's just such a realistic portrayal of that. And yet she's a woman with dignity throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And you see her trying to maintain her dignity and trying to do what she can with the resources she has. And well, and it's a very interesting, I mean, the story is set up in such an interesting way and she plays it in such a brilliant way so that at the end, you're not like, Oh man, she walked out on them. Mm -hmm. Like how dare she? Yeah. Right. You're like, good like yeah. she's gonna go do her thing yeah hopefully she gets the help that she needs yeah. and now they can do their thing yeah right and just she shows the fracture in the family so clearly mm-hmm. um especially in i mean the sorry it's hard to stop talking about this but especially in the flashbacks with the son buck yeah. or whatever his name is where she's like laying on the grass and she's laughing and like being like what the best version of her as a mother mm-hmm. is yeah and it's like you see Mary Tyler Moore in that moment where it's right. like. Well, and that's what's so amazing, too, about her performance, since I had never seen this before. Like, I love her in other stuff that she does. Yes, I love the Dick Van Dyke show. She plays <laughs> extremely lovable characters. Right. And so for her to then make the turn and, like, play this character that you just, like, despise. Great like acting. Very amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever was going on with her on the beach that day paid off. <laughs> Uh, well with that uh we better leave you or we're gonna keep talking your ear off Uh, yeah i watch the movie dude yeah watch this movie get through the first like 20 to 40 minutes it's a little bit slow but it pays off in the end big time um and then uh join us next week when we bring you a new academy archives thank you for tuning in to thank the academy you can follow us on social media at Thank the Academy Podcast on Instagram and at Thank Academy Pod on Twitter. If you enjoy listening to the show, make sure to leave a five star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. The theme song was created by the one and only Noah Heisinger. Join us next week on Thank the Academy. <laughs>